I'm going to continue today in this series that started four weeks ago. We had one break in there with a guest speaker, but privileges of the kingdom. And I'm going to read from Jude. It only has one chapter. So Jude verse 20 through verse 25. These are the last six verses of the epistle of Jude. It says this, but you beloved building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. And have mercy on some who are doubting, save others, snatching them out of the fire, and on some have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. Verse 25 up on the screen there because my Bible program has quit working. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now, and forever. Amen. I'm going to preach today for just a little while, and it may be a real little while, depending on if I may have to steal my notes back from Belky, on the privilege to grow, the privilege to grow. God bless you. You may be seated. One of the things that are said, maybe ad nauseum, if someone has a child and you say this every time you see them, man, he or she has gotten so big. Anybody ever said that? Looking back at Alaric after four weeks away, I was like, man, he's gotten so big. <laughs> it's just what you say. It is the expectation that they're going to grow. And the reality is, and of course, we've talked about this before, if, if Babies don't grow, it's a sign that there is something that is maybe not right, but we expect it, but then we always talk about it, that we see them. If you don't see your niece or your nephew for a month and they're, they're not already fully grown, it's like, man, you've gotten so tall or you've grown or whatever words you choose to use, it's the common normal thing. They are newborn and they grow, it's the process. The Bible refers to our spiritual birth as a new birth. We are born again. It is a spiritual thing. It's not a physical thing per se. There are physical elements to it. We have to repent. We have to ask forgiveness. We have to choose to turn from sin. We choose to go down in the waters of baptism, but just going down in the water apart from God and apart from faith doesn't do anything but get us wet. But when we go down in the waters of baptism, God washes away our sin, but we physically get in. We physically will speak in a language that we don't know. It's not a mental thing. You don't say, well, did you receive the, or speak in tongues when you got the Holy Ghost? Yeah, I thought I did. Like, I, I didn't say anything, but I no, it is a physical thing, but all of that is really, though, 
secondary because it is a spiritual birth. We are, John would write in chapter 1 of his gospel, we are born not of blood nor of the will of man, but we are born of God. Jesus would say to Nicodemus in John chapter 3 that you must be born again. Nicodemus, not understanding how can a man enter his mother's womb and be born a second time, that's not possible. And Jesus says, marvel not that I say to you, you must be born again. You must be born of water and the Spirit in order to enter the kingdom of God. It is a new birth. And just like with a physical birth, with a newborn child, there is the expectation of growth. The expectation that three years from that birth of a child, they won't be the same. They're going to be different intellectually, mentally, physically. There's a whole lot of things that are going to change. And I would tell you that it is the same spiritually. That just being born again is not the end of the story. It is not the end of the process, but it is a new birth. And a birth is a beginning. That this birth and this new birth that we go through, it is the beginning of a relationship. It is the beginning of a walk with God. It is the beginning of a life of growing. A life of maturing. There is the expectation of growth. Paul would write in Romans 8 that we are predestined to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Look at your neighbor and say, the result is we're the image of Jesus. I should have just gave you one or two words, said I gave you a whole sentence there. But that's what we're heading toward. That's what the end goal is. And you don't get to that end goal of being conformed to the image of Jesus instantaneously. It is a process. You're born again, boom, now this is what we end up. It is a process of growing. It is a process of maturing. It is a process of becoming more like Him. And the end result is that we will be fully mature in our faith and fully mature in our relationship with Jesus Christ. I would tell you that if God has saved you, The next stage of the journey is to live lives that are growing and pleasing to God. Once again, it's not I got the t-shirt, I'm good. It's like, all right, I've started this journey, now I need to walk on this journey. I need to grow on this journey. I need to mature on this journey. The epistle to Jude, it is frequently overlooked by many. It is the last epistle before the book of Revelation. A lot of people know about the book of Revelation. Not too many people know about Jude. It's that one little chapter, 25 verses, and so people skip over it. But Jude is writing and he tells us up front who he is to make sure that we know who he is. He said, Jude, the brother of James, the servant of Jesus. He does a lot of stuff in that that first verse there. 
He's the brother of James. Which James? This is the half-brother of Jesus, which makes Jude the half-brother of Jesus. But he doesn't say Jude the brother of Jesus. I'm Jude the brother of James to give credence. James, who is the head of the church in Jerusalem, and he, he wants to appeal and make sure people know I'm writing this and I have some authority. I'm, me, and, me and James are connected. And, but he doesn't say the brother of Jesus, which James doesn't ever say that either. But he just said, I'm the servant of Jesus. That it's all about humility and it's all about servitude. And, and, and he says, I wanted to write to you about it's common salvation. He said, I, I set out, it was my intention to write to you about this new birth. It was my intention to write to you about this fact that we are born again and that there's only one way to be saved. It is our common salvation. There's only one plan of salvation, only one plan of redemption. He said, I wanted to write about that. And I wanted to write about the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Not a, not a faith that changes, not a body of beliefs that changes from century to century. Not a body of faith that's going to change 2,000 years removed from where Jude is. He says, but it was once for all delivered. He said, but I can't do that. I wanted to write about this, but I had to write about something else. Compelled to write about something different. So he begins to delineate and to list out and address the fact that in the first century there are false teachers who have arisen within the church. You see this repetitively throughout the New Testament. Jesus warned of it. He hadn't even, he's early on, it's the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7. Jesus is already saying, Beware of false teachers, they're going to come like wolves. Ravenous wolves at that. They're going to be wolves in sheep's clothing. They're going to hide themselves and you're not going to know. They're going to try to sneak in among the sheep. And Jesus warns of it. And Paul repeatedly would say it. And, and Peter and John and others would warn of false teachers. And not even out of the first century. The church is, this time, only about 30 years old, maybe 35 years old, and Jude would say these false teachers have come in, they have arisen among the people of God. And the specific ones that he would talk about sound very much like some in our day. They were specifically promoting immoral lifestyles. And Jude would appeal to various things in the Scripture, and even using the book of Enoch, which is an extra-biblical writing, throw some things in there, and would say these are like these other scenarios. and They would have a form of godliness and deny the power to change. That these false teachers would lead people astray, and in essence, what they were doing was promoting a new birth without the need to change. A, a Be born again and get saved, but then just do whatever it is you want to do. Sounds a lot like our day. I just read a, an article yesterday of a religious studies professor 
professor of the Old Testament who went through the Scripture. And I would hate to study in her class. It was obvious from a variety of things that she didn't know what she was talking about, but claiming to be a Christian and an authority on the Old Testament, saying, well, the Old Testament, they had transgenderism. And she gave three examples, and I'm like, she's making it up, man. That's where we are, though. It's our culture. And not only our culture, but some who would proclaim to be Christian and be proclaim to be Christian teachers or leading people astray, promoting this salvation without change, this salvation without following Jesus, salvation without doing what it is that God has called us to do and God has required of us. And and I use that word required there, and I'm not going to backtrack that word, but I would say this, God is calling us to grow and He is calling us to mature. And while it is a requirement and it is a call that He is placing upon us, it is also a privilege that we get to grow into the image of Jesus Christ. We we get to grow into His likeness. We get to become more and more like Him. That when we see Him, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. We see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. It's a privilege to become what God has called us to do. We get to become like the King. We are children of the King. We are sons and daughters of God. And we get to become more and more in His image and in His likeness. That's a privilege. It is also a requirement. So how then can we live lives that are growing and pleasing to God if if we're not supposed to stay like we were before our salvation, and if we're not supposed to stay just like we are at the moment of our conversion, how then shall we live and how then shall we grow? The text that I read, it is the end of the epistle, gives us a number of points of application on how we can do this and how we can live. The first is this, we must build ourselves up in the faith. In fact, it is that phrase there that drew me to this passage for this message. Building yourselves up in your most holy faith. Building, it is a present active participle. Look at your neighbor and say, that's awesome. If I hadn't studied it, I wouldn't know what a present active participle is either. But here's what's important about that. It means you have to do it. That the building up doesn't just happen. Building up doesn't, it's not just by osmosis. I came into the building and I was just magically built up. You have to work at it. You have to build yourself up. We're going to look in a moment at some middle and passive verbs. That means it's something that's done to you, but this present active participle says that you have to be building yourself up. 
You have to do it. It's got to be an action on your part. We have a role to play. It is not automatic. Everyone is not equal, but everyone can grow. Say that again. Everyone is not equal, but everyone can grow. I've been in this. I I said it in Sunday school. I received the Holy Ghost November 12, 1983. Over. I was was the age of 11. 40. Years ago. And so where I am on my journey is different than where you may be. Or Rod and Brenda Hillhouse. They've been serving God longer than I've been alive, even though they're young. I I, I can't expect necessarily to be where they are, but I can expect that hopefully, by the grace of God, next year I'm further down the road than I am today. And tomorrow I'm growing more in His likeness than I am today. The expectation of growth. Paul, the most educated John, the brother of James, the closest to Jesus, as he would say, the disciple whom Jesus would love, or James and Jude, the half-brothers of Jesus. Peter, walking with Jesus. Peter, who got to go on the Mount of Transfiguration. Peter, who got to preach the first message. I, I may never be what they were, but I can always grow, and I can always be better. I can always be more and more in His image, and more and more in His likeness, and He will pull me along, because at the end, I will be conformed to His image. Everyone can grow, so we must build ourselves up, and Jude would use this on our, our most holy faith, not just any faith, but this faith that was once for all delivered to the saints, we must build ourselves up. The second thing is this, the end of verse 20, that praying in the Holy Spirit. I addressed this a little bit at Sunday school today. And my time is getting away from me, but just so just know this, and you can ask me afterwards if you like. But it is, in one sense, prayer that is led by the Spirit. Lord, what should I pray for today? He will, ask, he will answer. When you don't know what to pray, don't just wait to speak in tongues. Ask Him, Lord, what, I, what should I pray for? This is the situation, and this is what I want, Lord, but what do you want? And Prayer that is led, that is, that's one option for what this is, and maybe that is a part of it. Prayer that is in alignment with the Holy Spirit, that is definitely a piece of it. But I would also say this, and, and using 1 Corinthians 14, it is prayer that is uttered by the Holy Spirit where I am praying in tongues. I don't know what to pray as I ought, but the Spirit will pray through me. And when He does, everything's going to be okay. Because God is a God who answers prayer. And so when I don't know what to pray, but He does, and He's going to answer the prayer He prays through me. That ought to make you excited right there. That any time I'm praying in the Spirit, good things are going to happen. And what Jude would say, 
building yourselves up in your most holy faith, praying in the Spirit. It's a good thing, and I'm going to skip most of the rest of my notes on that. I just had some questions, what, when, where, and how. Daily would be good. But at minimum, be like John the Revelator in Revelation chapter 1, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day, that if no other time, the Lord's Day is a good day to do it. The Lord's Day is a good day to be in the Spirit, and the Lord's Day is a good day to pray in the Spirit, but daily would be good. Thirdly, Jude would write this, we must keep ourselves in the love of God. This is an imperative, it is a command to keep ourselves. The previous two things in verse 20 were really leading up to this. This is really the crux of the, these three verses or two verses here. It is building yourselves up and praying in the Holy Spirit so you can keep yourself in the love of God. Just know that, and once again, I've only got six minutes on my timer. Every admonition in the Scripture, you see it, keep yourselves in the love of God. If the Bible has to tell us to do something, that means it's not an automatic. He doesn't say, since you can't get out of the love of God, build yourselves up in your most holy faith because you don't have any choice but to be in the love of God. This train is bound for glory and you can't get off if you want to. They're singing out there. I hear. So he tells us you've got to do this because it's not automatic. It's possible to fall out of the love of God. It's possible to get out from under His care. Jesus would say, if you love me, keep my commandments, which means if you don't keep my commandments, you don't love me. There is this expectation of growth, and if we're going to grow and mature, we've got to keep ourselves in the love of God. It is a command. The song that says this, falling in love with Jesus is the best thing I've ever done. You may love your significant other, but falling in love with Jesus is far better than any of that because falling in love with Jesus is going to make sure that you get to heaven and make sure that you spend eternity with Him and make sure that you're walking with Him and you're growing with Him and that you're living the life that He wants you to live. I know sometimes I give you three things and sometimes I give you 27. They're all in the app. If you have the app, you can follow along specific points, but number four is this. If we're going to live lives that are growing and pleasing to God, the fourth thing Jude would tell us is we must expectantly wait for the second coming. Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. I won't unpack this all the way, but I would just tell you, when you live with the end in mind, it changes what you do today. When you live going, He's going to come back soon. 
It changes how I live today. Former boss of mine, he was pastor and president of the Bible college where I was. I, I was dean of students and then vice president, and we worked together, I guess, about 10 years. He was a diabetic, and he would go in every three months to do an A1C test. And the A1C test, it's a three-month average of your blood sugar levels, the level of sugar in your blood. And it was, it would get comical if it wasn't the fact that it was dangerous. But he would do everything he wasn't supposed to do, eating-wise. And then, about a week before he'd go to the doctor, and he'd start, getting, he'd start eating real good. He'd be like, well, I got to, I mean, I, no, I can't eat those carbs. I got to can't have that sugar. Trying to skew the average to make it a little better, but it's going to do the three-month average no matter what. But if he had lived thinking in 90 days, I got to go to the doctor. And in 89 days, I got to go to the doctor. And 88 days, I've got to go to the doctor. And 87 days, I got to go to the doctor. We could be here a long time if I kept walking it down. It would change what he did in that moment. He wouldn't have that pie or that cake or that sugar if he's living with the end in mind. And I would tell you, when we live with the end in mind, it changes what we do. If we live with the expectation, waiting anxiously for the return of Jesus, that He could come tomorrow, so that's going to change what I do today. And instead of skipping prayer, because He might be coming tomorrow, Lord, I'm here again today. I've come to meet with you today. And instead of just living any way I want, it's like, Lord, how do you want me to live today? This is part of what it means to grow and live lives that are pleasing to God as we're looking for the end in mind and we're waiting anxiously for His return and it changes what I do. We can go to church or not, no big deal. We can pray or not, we can fast or not, read the Bible, it doesn't matter. But if you live waiting anxiously for the return, say, even so, come Lord Jesus. If you're expecting Him to come at any moment, it changes what we do. And I would tell you, heaven is really real. And Jesus is really coming. And if we lose sight of the fact that He is really coming, it's going to be hard to live for Jesus. believer at this point, but many of you probably worked in jobs. Sometimes you see it in retail, you see it in restaurants. Go to work, the employees doing all kind of stuff that they, all against policy and stuff they're not supposed to be doing. They're just meandering around. Anybody ever been in a job like that? And then you come in one day, everything's different. They're having you clean up this and clean up that and get your shirt tucked in and make sure you got the uniform on just right. And you're like, what's going on? Oh, the, man, the general manager's coming in today. The regional manager or whatever, the boss is coming in today and it changes your behavior. When you live like the boss is coming at any moment, it changes the way we live.
it helps remind us that it's not my will, but thy will be done. That it's not what I want to do, it's what you want me to do. Fifthly is this, we must help others to be saved. Verses 22 and 23, Jude says, have mercy on some who are doubting. That as time goes on in their walk with God, some have a tendency to doubt and some begin to stray a little bit from the faith. And he says, have mercy on them. Encouraging them and pulling them back. And he would take it a step step further when he would say in verse 23, save others, snatching them out of the fire. What fire is he talking about? It's the fire of hell. Others, they may have started out and some are just questioning a little bit. Others, they're, they're getting awful close to losing out with God. He says, snatch them from the fire. Have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. As Anna comes to give you hope that I'm almost done. This word for garment here, it's a specific word. You've seen these pictures or dramas or whatever where they recreate the outfits from the first century. and There are outer garments, which is the top kind of layer, usually like a tunic or these long, then underneath that they may have a longer robe or the word for garment here is a word that specifically is referring to the long undergarment that they would wear next to the skin. And what Jude is referencing by using that, it's, it's not the world that's defiling me. It's the flesh. It's who I am. Jesus would say when talking to the Pharisees, when they were upset that his disciples weren't washing their hands, and he's like, it's not what goes into you that defiles you. It's what comes out of you that defiles you. So what Jude is saying is here, it's not because the world is just making them dirty. It's not because the world is making them unclean. But that garment that it's protected, it's the undergarment that's closest to their skin. That's the one hating even that garment that is polluted or stained by the flesh. But I don't want the world can't make me sin. The devil can't make me sin. Only I get to choose if I sin. He says, pull them from the fire, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. Helping those who are struggling with sin. And then lastly, he would say this in verses 24 and 25. We must consistently acknowledge God. And he would say it this way as you stand together. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of His glory, blameless, with great joy. Ultimately, what He's saying is this. You can't do this by yourself. 
You can't live like He wants you to live on your own, but it, you, it takes the power of God to help you live like He wants you to live. You can't live like He wants you to live apart from Him, but He says, now to Him who is able to keep you from sinning, now to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling and falling and losing out with God, to Him who is able to make you stand with great joy, to that one, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority for all time and now and forever. Amen. So here's the deal. If you're going to grow, if you're going to mature, if you're going to become what God wants you to be, part of what's going to take, i got to keep looking to Him. I can't do it apart from Him, but i got to keep going to the only one who can save me to the only one who can keep me from stumbling, to the only one who can keep me from going back to my old life, i got to stay connected to Him. i got to continually acknowledge the King of kings and the Lord of lords and keep Him on the throne of my life. He is the only one who is worthy of praise. He's the only one that can help me to be what He has called me to be. He's the only one that can help me to grow and mature and become all that He wants me to be. Great Commission, it is a twofold thing. Make disciples through conversion and through teaching them to obey all things I have commanded. It's not just a conversion, but it's an obedience to everything He has commanded. That's how we grow. We must continually seek Him. And I am convinced today that you wouldn't be here this January 28th Sunday morning if you didn't love God and you didn't want to become everything that He wants you to be. If you didn't want to live lives that were pleasing to Him and lives that were growing in His grace and lives that were growing in the knowledge of who He is. So my admonition to you today is this. Commit to grow in your relationship with Jesus through spiritual disciplines, prayer and Bible and fasting and church attendance. Commit to following God's ways through obedience. And commit to becoming the spiritually mature people He's called you to be through continued faithfulness. It doesn't happen in a moment. It doesn't happen overnight. You just stick with Jesus and He will make you into what wants you to be. Just for a moment, would you come around the front of this building and would you ask the Lord to speak to you and you ask the Lord to help you and ask the Lord to strengthen you. Ask Him to help you to become everything that He's called you to be today. God, I want to be everything you've called me to be, Jesus. I want to grow in my relationship with you. I want to grow in my walk with you. I want to grow, Lord, and Become all that you call me to be, Jesus.